Good morning. The first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, the book of Amos, chapter 8. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Slimpy the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this? And all who live in it mourn. The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Camp. We're returning from a week of directing summer camp, uh, hence the attire today. And Clark was telling people all week at Sky Lake that his dad bought tan Crocs so that I could wear them to church and preach in them. So I'm not sure where he got that idea, but I thought this morning, why not? So uh, they're the perfect closed-toed shoe for camp. You can kick them off and go right into the lake. So, uh, so I wore them today to preach in my Crocs. And we're looking at a couple of the uh, scripture lessons that we shared with campers this week. And the second one now is the one we already acted out in children's time, probably familiar to most of us, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near to him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, 
and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Lord, as we thirst for your word, as we hunger for knowledge of you, Send your Spirit now upon us. Open our hearts and our minds so that we might glean from you today. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. So did you notice in the passage from Amos that the people are thirsting for the Lord? But they're at a a time and a place where they don't seem to have any contact with God. It says they can't hear God's word anymore. If somebody came to you and said they couldn't hear God's word anymore, what would you tell them to do? Maybe go pray some more? Maybe go read scripture? Maybe go to worship? Well, Amos says that this thirst for the Lord, this dry spell that they're in, is because of the way they've been treating their neighbors, especially those who are less powerful. There's a line in there. uh, They're making the shekel great and the ephah small. Doesn't mean much to us because we don't use shekels and ephahs anymore. But those are the measures that would be on the balance. They're making the part where the people have to pay the price go up, And the part where they're offering their goods, they're offering less and less. They're cheating their customers with the weights. And Amos tells them, until they treat their neighbors better, that there will be a famine in the land, not for bread, not for water, but for the word of the Lord. And so that ties in for me to the story that Jesus tells in today's gospel passage. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want us to ask ourselves this morning, who are we in this story? That's a question I asked campers earlier in the week. We tried to imagine ourselves as different characters in that parable. And then we had the campers uh, design their own little skit uh, to reenact the parable of the Good Samaritan in some different settings. And then... They animated those as short video clips. So while we're going along this morning, I want to share those with you. So take a look at the first interpretation of the Good Samaritan. So who are you in today's story? 
What if you and I are the priest or the Levite? One a professional clergy person like myself, another a congregation member just like you. We don't often think of ourselves as the first two characters walking by on the road, but how many times have you walked to the other side? Have you chosen not to see the need? Now, I've preached a lot of sermons on the Good Samaritan. Usually, we give the priest and the Levite some kind of a, a pass, right? They needed to keep their ritual purity if they were headed to the temple in Jerusalem. And so, touching a corpse or touching someone else's blood would have made them unclean and ineligible to go into the temple that same day. But surely, that's not the point of the story. Jesus doesn't give the Levite or the priest a free pass. No matter what job they might be going to do in the temple that day, what kind of religion is it if it keeps them from being compassionate? We know that there are plenty of other laws outside of the ritual purity that would tell the priest and the Levite that they should stop and help the person in need. Well, maybe you're not the priest today. Maybe you and I are more like the lawyer who asks the questions. I want to take a look at another clip now, uh, and I want to warn you on this one, this was the boys' group. So they reimagined the Good Samaritan with a little more spice to it. What if it had sharks and ninjas in it? Take a look. Feel more like the lawyer today. He seems like a nice guy, and he's asking what I think is a sincere question. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just tell me the rules. If I know what the rules are, I could follow them. I'll do whatever you ask. And when he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's asking Jesus to help him draw that line. Who is it that I need to care for to get in good with God? And, and who's outside of that circle? John Wesley says of the parable of the Good Samaritan that it shows us the many times that our love of neighbor is just our own self-love reflected back at us that we so often want to help the people who are most like us. We have compassion when we can imagine ourselves in the shoes of others, and that's the easiest to do with people who are most like us. The lawyer approaches Jesus in order to test him, says the Scripture. And he's coming with questions that he seems to already think he knows the answers to. When Jesus asks him about the law, the lawyer cites uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He's clearly read all the scriptures. But he's trying to figure out where that line might be. Jesus, who is it that I'm supposed to care for 
And who is it that I can ignore? Well, maybe, though, this morning you identify the most with the Good Samaritan. Let's take one more video clip now and imagine ourselves as the Good Samaritan in this one. probably the most comfortable person to be, right? We imagine ourselves following in the footsteps of the Samaritan. But that's not exactly what Jesus' hearers of the first parable would have thought about. See, they were not expecting him to talk about a Samaritan. You know how we we set up certain jokes, you know, a, a doctor, a lawyer, and a priest walk into a bar. Well, with this story... Jesus says, first, it's a priest, then it's a Levite, and you know who they were expecting to be the third person? A regular Israelite, just like them. But Jesus picks a peculiar hero for his story. It's not one of their own kind that saves the day, but it's one of their enemies The Jews and the Samaritans had hated each other for generations. The Jews accused the Samaritans of of marrying into the Assyrian clans to get better treatment in the exile. And when they moved back uh, to the Promised Land, they had their own temple out on a mountain outside of Jerusalem. In fact, it was illegal, against the law, for a Samaritan to enter Jerusalem and go into the temple itself. It's not the hero we expect in the story, is it? I found a story much like that this week. This is a true story. It happened on Christmas Eve in Houston, Texas. Two young police officers had pulled the evening shift on Christmas Eve, certainly the one that nobody would have signed up for on their own, right? And as they were on patrol that night, The two police officers were struck head-on by a drunk driver. The SUV that they were driving flipped over, gasoline spilled out, and the police car caught fire with the two officers trapped inside. There was a loud crash, and the men were crying for help, and two people heard them from their apartment window. They ran out onto the street and attempted to help the officers. One was by the name of Juan Carlos Salgado. He couldn't find anything close enough at hand to break the glass to help the officers out, so he punched through the driver's side window with his right hand. He he broke several bones and cut himself up quite badly, but breaking the window enabled Juan to pull the two officers out of that window and to safety. And after this heroic deed... Juan left the scene and told another man uh, by the name of Flores to take the credit when other people responded. Juan was afraid to stay at the accident scene because he was an undocumented immigrant from Mexico. 
So his friend Oscar stayed and told the story. It was picked up by the Houston News a few days later. And when the reporter went to find Juan, they found him at his job. With his hand all bandaged up, he was mowing lawns for the landscaping business that he worked for. The two officers that day, Alonzo Reed and John Daly, credited Juan with saving their lives. It's not exactly the hero you would expect at the end of the story. I want to show you one more video before we consider just one other angle on the Good Samaritan. Let's take a look now. There's one other character that could be us in the story. What if you and I are the ones in the ditch along the side of the road? What if we're the travelers who are beat up and in desperate need of someone's help? Have you ever imagined what it would be like for that traveler to wake up in an unfamiliar bed, realizing he didn't know how he even got there. And what must it have been like for that traveler in that bed at the inn to find out that the person who had helped him, who had carried him on his own animal, who had paid for his stay and bandaged his wounds, was his sworn enemy. When I told the story to campers this week, I kept referring to the Samaritan as a dirty, rotten, no-good Samaritan. And When I asked the campers, what do you think it would be like to be that traveler waking up in that unfamiliar bed? One of them said, well, I'll bet that traveler didn't say those mean things about the Samaritans anymore. And I thought, nope, I'll bet he didn't. Jesus tells this story as a challenge to us, to challenge the limits of our compassion. Will our compassion have boundaries? Will our compassion have borders? Will our compassion have walls? And Amos points out what's at stake when we ask these questions about our neighbor. Amos says that we will thirst for the word of God, that we will seek after God's knowledge. But until we treat our neighbors as Jesus commands, we will not hear the word of the Lord. And so the challenge that Jesus offers to the lawyer at the end of the story is the same challenge that's offered to us today. He says, who was the one that was the neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus simply says, Go and do likewise.
Amen.